And it's good to be here. Good to be back with you. Thank you so much for continuing to pray for uh, our family and thank you for all the well wishes on our anniversary. It's great to be back. I appreciate Eddie filling in last week. And uh, this week we're going to wrap up a series that we started several weeks ago called Breakout. And if you're just joining us, we've been making our way this year through the book of Acts. And this particular series, we focused on Acts chapters 8 through chapter 12. And the subtitle of this series is A Call to Leave Southside Baptist Church because all of these stories in this part of Acts are about the church breaking out of where they were to follow Jesus where he was calling them to go. And in this particular Sunday, given it's the last Sunday of the series and it's graduation Sunday, and given the nature of Acts chapter 12, I couldn't think of a better title than prison break, right? Students, that's prison break. You're about to get out. I know everybody's excited about that. You know, graduation is the first of many experiences you will have in life where you transition from one stage of life to another. And every time we come to one of those points, uh, high school graduation, college graduation, your parents hope that'll be in about four years, they hope, Uh, or whether it's going from single life to being married or from married with no kids to having kids, whether it's going from school to a career, whether it's going from career to retirement, every stage we come to in life, uh, we have to make some changes in our habits and in our thinking patterns in order to break out of one stage and into another. There are some things that we have to leave behind, and there are some things that we have to embrace. And so uh, high school seniors, I know for many of you, you are going to leave behind your parents' helpful reminders, right? All the little things, the little reminders they give you, you're going to leave that behind. But as you leave that behind, you're going to have to embrace laundry, And you're going to have to embrace managing your own schedule, managing your own time. You're going to leave behind the structure of high school, uh, but you're going to have to embrace the responsibility that comes with greater freedom. Every time we go from one stage to another, there are things we leave behind and new things that we have to embrace and and challenges that we have. Uh, And so there's always new freedom. There's greater responsibilities. There are unique challenges and opportunities that come. And so the disciples were a lot like that. They had gone from one stage of their life where they had been following Jesus for three years, not just eight hours a day when they went to the classroom, but, but all day, every day for three years. They walked with him. They Uh, They went where he went, they ate when he ate, they slept where he slept. I mean, they were immersed in the life of Jesus for three years, and they thought it was pretty good. They thought this is just how it's going to be, and so they were a little taken back when Jesus was arrested and executed, Uh, but then they were overjoyed when Jesus was raised from the dead, and and they thought, this is great. Now he's going to take up his throne, and he's going to kick out all the bad guys, and that wasn't Jesus' plan. Instead, he was trying to prepare them. He says, guys, listen, I'm going to leave And they're like, wait, you'd already left and you came back. No, I'm going to leave, and when I go, I want you to do something. You've got a new stage of life. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And then Jesus went back to heaven, and here they are all left. And they're going to have to change their way of thinking. But as they began to embrace Jesus' call to reach the city of Jerusalem, the church began to grow exponentially. And as it was growing and great things were happening, there was also some unrest happening. And the religious leaders were beginning to become uncomfortable with the number of people who were following Jesus. And so there was a man named Stephen. And Stephen was a follower of Jesus. And Stephen was executed because of his commitment to following after Christ. 
And that sacrifice took place. And, and as a result of that sacrifice, the church began to go into a new stage. They, they began to move out of Jerusalem into the surrounding area, into, into Samaria and into Judea. But there were some mindsets that they were going to have to change. There were some ways of thinking they were going to have to break out of if they're going to embrace this new mission that God had for them in the entire nation of Israel. And as we get to the end of chapter 12, what we find is we're about to encounter another transition. The disciples and the church is about to have to break out of just ministering in Jerusalem and Judea, and they're going to have to fulfill Jesus' ultimate call to go to the ends of the earth. And there, there is a story that captures what I think is really the essence of the entire book of Acts and this whole idea of, of breaking out in, in Acts chapter 12. It's a great story that kind of encapsulates for us this whole challenge we have of breaking out of one stage of, of answering God's call in our lives and going into another. And I think it's a pattern for us of the rest of the book of Acts, but more importantly, and this is where it's real important that you hear me today, whether you're a high school senior or whether you are in, in the twilight years of your life, this is a pattern that I think plays out in our lives over and over again. It's a pattern that requires something of us if we're going to follow God through every stage of our life. Some of you are here have lived long enough that you can look back and you think, well, my most passionate days as a Christ follower are behind me. I don't think that was ever God's intention for us. It may look different now than it did then, but I think if we continue to follow after Jesus, there's a pattern that we can embrace in order to follow him through all the stages of our life. That pattern, I think, has at least three components, and, and they're this, sacrifice, vigilance, and dependence. Sacrifice, vigilance, and dependence. And we're going to look at those through the story that Ethan read for us earlier. And, and as he's reading that story, you heard about a king named Herod. Now, if you show up at church at Christmas time, you hear about another king named Herod who was trying to trick the wise men into telling him where the baby Jesus was born so that he could go and worship him, when in fact, Herod was so insecure that what he really wanted to do was kill this baby. And this Herod is not the Herod we're reading about in Acts chapter 12. This is actually that Herod's grandson. But just to show you how insecure that Herod was, King Herod was, not only did he try to have Jesus killed, but he had his own sons killed because he was afraid they were going to try to take the throne away from him. So Herod that we're reading about in Acts chapter 12 is Herod's grandson. He goes by, by Herod Agrippa sometimes, and so we're going to refer to him as Agrippa just to keep it clear. But he, here he is. He is trying to curry favor with the Romans, and he's trying to curry favor with the Jews. And so in order to make the Jewish people happy, they're really, they're really uncomfortable with the rise of all these Jesus followers. So he has James arrested and executed. Now, James is the brother of John, uh, and so these were two of Jesus' very first followers. And James is not the first Christian to die for his face. That was Stephen. We read about him several weeks ago. But James was the first of the 12 apostles who would die for his faith. And so James is executed, and the crowd goes crazy. Like the Jewish leaders are so excited and so grateful to Herod Agrippa that he says, Huh, well, you like that? Watch this. And he goes and he has Peter arrested. 
Now, Peter is the head of the church in Jerusalem, so this is a big deal. Meanwhile, the church is freaking out because slowly they can see that the king, the government, the religious leaders, everybody's conspiring against the church, and they're starting the systematic persecution and execution of all of Jesus' followers. And so they're in hiding, and a group of them go into a house from a woman named Mary. It's not Mary, the mother of Jesus. They didn't They didn't have the baby name book like we have today, so a lot of these names are repeated. This was Mary, the mother of John Mark. And so they go to her house, and they're praying fervently in this house. Peter is about to be executed any day. They know that Stephen has already been executed, and they're just praying, praying, praying for a miracle. Meanwhile, back in the prison, Peter's asleep. Peter's He is sacked out. He is surrounded by guards. I mean, Herod Agrippa was so concerned that Peter would escape that he had 16 guards assigned to Peter, four at any given time. So on this particular night, two are chained to either side of Peter, two are watching the the gates, and an angel comes in. And Peter doesn't even wake up when the angel comes in the room. So the angel strikes Peter's side, and Peter wakes up. The angel delivers Peter out of prison. Peter goes to the house, Mary's house, where all the disciples are praying for his release and he goes and he knocks on the gate and a servant girl named Rhoda comes and she hears his voice and she gets so excited she doesn't even open the gate she just runs back in but now catch this because this this captures me so many times I'm praying for something and then I don't believe God's actually going to do it she goes back in and she tells all the the people praying hey God has delivered Peter he's at the front door and they're like you have lost your mind Peter's as good as dead. I don't, know, I don't know what you're talking about. There's no way Peter's at the gate. Meanwhile, Peter's knocking on the door. Hey, let me in. God's answered your prayers. So finally, they let him in. Peter comes in, but he knows he can't stay there. Herod is irate because Peter has escaped. He has all those guards executed. Uh, there's a search, and so Peter knows he can't stay in Jerusalem. So he sort of hands the leadership of the church over to James, not the James who was executed, but James, the brother of Jesus. Remember, they didn't have the baby name book. So he hands the keys to the church over to James and says, hey, you're in charge. And Peter flees and leaves Jerusalem because he is so concerned for his life, and the church is so concerned for him. Meanwhile, Herod Agrippa is so embarrassed that he leaves the region, and he goes back to this other part of his empire, and as he's there presiding over this group of people, he's wearing this robe that the Jewish historian Josephus says was a, a silver robe that reflected the sun, so it looked as if he was shining like a god, and all the people said, oh, this is the voice of God and not a man, and, 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 and Herod doesn't argue with him. He, like, takes the credit for himself. And the Bible says that God struck him dead and worms ate out his inside. Isn't that good? Worms. Like, haven't you ever wanted to pray? I mean, come on, just be honest. You wanted to pray that for somebody at some point. So, so he dies on the spot. And what we see at the end of chapter 12 is we see this amazing verse because Barnabas and Paul are about to leave and they're about to carry the gospel to the ends of the earth, and we see the cycle that started with sacrifice. So let's talk about these three stages that I think, these three elements that are essential for us to experience a breakout. The first one is sacrifice. Notice what happened in James chapter 12, verse 2 and 3. James, I mean, I'm sorry, in uh, Acts chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, James, the brother of John, died. Now, every time that 
we see the death of someone in the book of Luke or the book of Acts, it is the beginning of a new stage of the ministry. This is sort of a pattern that Luke, who is the writer of the gospel of Luke and the writer of the book of Acts has. So at the end of the book of Luke, Jesus is executed. And after his execution, his resurrection, before his ascension, it launches the church into existence in the city of Jerusalem. And then at the end of Acts chapter 7, we see the death of Stephen, a sacrifice. But out of that death comes the church expansion into Judea and Samaria. And then at the end of chapter 12, we see the death of James. And then after the death of James, we see the expansion of the church as a global movement of the gospel as it reaches into the Roman world and all the known world. But James died There was a price that was paid for that expansion to begin. Stephen died in order for the church to expand out of Jerusalem into its surrounding areas. And all of them were following the pattern that was set for them by Jesus. That his death and his sacrifice on the cross is what launched the global movement of the church at its very beginning. Sacrifice is always a part of it. But it wasn't just James who had to make a sacrifice. Even Peter made a sacrifice. Peter, after he escaped, we read in verse 17 that he went back and he said, hey, go get James. Tell him what's happened. And then it says that he went to another place. That Peter, who had invested by this point, it's 12 years after the resurrection. Peter has invested three years following Jesus, 12 years leading the church of Jerusalem, and he had to leave it all behind and hand the keys over to somebody else. He had to sacrifice that leadership position in order to go where God wanted him to go, in order to do what God wanted him to do. And I I just, as I read this and I read other passages of scripture that talk about the sacrifice that the men and women of God made all throughout the pages of scripture, I, I just ask myself in this particular story, why did God rescue Peter but not James? Why did James die but Peter was set free from prison? Why did God spare The apostle Paul, who was by all accounts a terrible, evil man, but he allowed Stephen to die at the hands of the Sanhedrin. Why did the apostle John live to be into his 90s when almost all the other disciples died as relatively young men? You see, here's what I've come to learn, both through scripture and through my experience in life, and that is that we are not all called to make the same sacrifice. It doesn't look the same for all of us. And from our earthly perspective, it doesn't always make sense why some people have to pay such a high a price and other people seem to have it so much easier. But I do know what Jesus said to his followers. He, he said, whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever would lose his life for me will gain it. I mean, sacrifice is a critical part of the Christian journey. There are stages of our life all along where we are going to have to be willing to set ourselves aside in order to follow Jesus and where he's calling us to go. And if we're not willing to make those sacrifices, if we're not willing to to pay that price, we cannot follow him. We can sing the song over and over and over again, but until we are actually willing to put the world behind us and the cross before us, until we are willing to pay the price that Jesus calls us to pay, we will never be able to follow him. And that's different for all of us. For some, it's a tremendous sacrifice. For others, it may seem like not very high a price to pay. But there is a price that we are called to pay if we're going to follow Jesus. The second requirement for a breakout faith is vigilance. Vigilance. I love this story. I think your Bible is full of humor. I don't think we often 
uh, give the Bible enough credit. Sometimes we read it way too seriously, uh, and, and we miss some of the humor that I think the, the writers are trying to communicate. This story about Rhoda, I think, is one of the best stories in the Bible that captures uh, the humor of Dr. Luke. And, and in this story, we see in verse 13 through 16, and Peter showed up. He's knocking on the door of the gateway. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it's, an, it's his angel, meaning like he was dead, and this is sort of a manifestation or his guardian angel that was there. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him, and they were amazed. Now, don't miss the irony of this. The very thing the church is praying for is happening, and they don't believe it. Why? Because they're not paying attention. Their eyes aren't opened. Now, I know for all of us, you know, we've been taught this posture of prayer where our eyes are closed and our head is down. But here's what I think we do. We pray in that posture, but we never lift our head and open our eyes to see how God responds to the prayer we just prayed. And so sometimes we miss the very answer that God is giving us to the prayer that we offered to him because we are not paying attention. We're not being vigilant. And if we're going to follow Jesus where he's calling us to go, I think vigilance is critical. We have to open our eyes and be aware. But it wasn't just Rhoda. Uh, Peter was also having this problem back when he was in the uh, back when he was inside the, the the jail cell. He was sleeping between two, two soldiers, and the, the the angel had to kick him to wake him up, and the chains fell off of him. And the angel said to him, "Dress yourself and put on your sandals." Now I find this interesting. The the, the angel can break him out of prison. The angel can somehow miraculously make it so that the guards are asleep or unaware, but Peter has to dress himself. Peter has to put on his own shoes. The angel can break Peter out of prison, but the angel doesn't open the door to the church to let Peter in. Now, something's going on here that I think is an important lesson for us when it comes to our vigilance and our awareness of what God is wanting to do. Because, you see, I think Jesus' words to his disciples the night he was arrested and betrayed are so important. He said in Matthew chapter 26, verse 41, he said, Watch and pray so that you do not fall into temptation. Watch and pray so that you don't fall into temptation. But what we do so many times is we fail to be spiritually alert enough to see the activity of God all around us. And so Peter, as he is... Taking, going out of prison, he finally wakes up and realizes what it is this angel has done for him. Rhoda finally realizes that she didn't unlock the door. The church finally realizes that Rhoda was telling the truth, that Peter really was at the door. And Peter's sleeping in his jail cell. And you have to ask yourself, is that because Peter had just given up and thought it was hopeless? Why wasn't Peter keeping vigil praying all night like the people in the church were? I don't know. The church was, meanwhile, was praying, but they weren't watching. And we have to be vigilant if we're going to follow Jesus and where he's calling us to go and what he's calling us to do. The third thing that we see in this story that is critical if we're going to follow Jesus is dependence. We have to be dependent. I think Acts chapter 12 shows us the power of God to act on behalf of his church. He sends an angel to free Peter from his imprisonment, but he also slows down the persecution of the church by striking the king dead who had ordered James's execution. Look what Peter says in Acts chapter 12 uh, verse 11. When Peter came to himself he said, now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod 
and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Peter finally wakes up and he realizes, there was no way I was ever getting out of that situation without God. That he recognized his dependence on God to deliver him from the prison cell. Look at, look at what happened at the end of the story in Acts chapter 12, verse 21 through 23. We see Herod on his throne, this evil man who had James executed, Peter imprisoned, who's about to unleash a, a, a horrific persecution on the church, and the church is cowering in fear. Meanwhile, in circumstances that they had no influence, no control over, God just strikes him dead as he's speaking to this crowd of people in a miraculous way. Notice all the juxtapositions taking place in this story. The king who ordered James's execution and Peter's arrest is dead. The prisoner condemned to die is set free. The empire that intimidated the church into hiding is now only read about in history books. The church that was closed up in Mary's house is now a global movement. These are things that can only happen with the touch of God. When the church is fully dependent and fully relying on God to do what only God can do. See, I think if we're going to follow Jesus as a church, if you're going to follow him as a family, if you're going to follow him as an individual, students, high school seniors in particular, if you're going to follow him on your college campus, you're going to have to recognize that there's going to have to be sacrifices made. You're going to have to be vigilant and aware of what God is doing around you. And you're going to have to be fully and totally dependent on him. So let me end with three questions for all of us. These are questions that are important for us to wrestle with. I think uh, for me this past couple weeks as I've been wrestling with these questions, I've made a list of the answers to them in my own notes. And and I hope you'll take these questions home this week and maybe spend some time praying through them yourself. First question is this. Are you sitting in a prison from which God has already set you free? Are you right now sitting in a prison from which God has already set you free. See, this is a question about sacrifice. Because I'm convinced that too many times we live like captives to sin, even though Jesus died to set you free from the power of sin in your life. What aren't you willing to give up that's keeping you in prison and keeping you locked in place? For some of you, maybe it's shame. You are still in the prison of shame from ways you used to live, from mistakes you made, from sins you committed, you're still living with all that shame. And the enemy is using it to keep you in prison. But you need to hear the word of God, that there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You have been set free from shame. For some of you, maybe it's regret, that the enemy just keeps whispering back into your mind all the things you could have, should have, would have, maybe did do, but didn't turn out the way you hoped. And so you live with a bunch of regrets, and the regrets are keeping you in a prison from experiencing all that God has for you now, recognizing that God can redeem even your worst mistakes and use them for your good and for his glory. For some of you, maybe it's doubt. You're just locked up in a prison of doubt when the Bible tells us that we're not called to a spirit of fear. Jesus has come that we might have life and have it abundantly, that we might have confidence in him and in the message and the hope of the gospel. Maybe for some of you, you're locked up in legalism. Maybe for others, it's addiction. Maybe addiction to to alcohol or pornography or, or maybe you've got a gambling problem, but you know you find yourself in this place where you are locked up, but Jesus has already set you free from that. Are you sitting in a prison from which God has already set you free? Second question. Are you praying for something 
God has already delivered? This is a, this is a question of vigilance. Are you fully engaged with God in what he is doing all around you? I think this is key for us, especially most of us here would say, hey, we're Jesus followers. You know, we're doing our best to walk with him each and every day. For, 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 if that's your story, if, if that describes you, I think this question is probably especially important for us. Because we don't have a shortage of praying. We have a shortage of awareness of God's activity. We continue to pray for things without connecting the dots of what God is doing all around us and recognizing that God is answering our prayers and inviting us to join him in answering those prayers. I love what Mark Batterson says in Draw the Circle. He says, prayer can become a form of spiritual procrastination. You're talking to somebody in your small group. They're going through problems. And you say, I'll pray for you. Well, that's good. But, but what if rather than praying for them, what if you took the next step and you actually said, can we get together? Tell me more. How can I help? You see the difference? Prayer becomes an excuse to, be, to, to procrastinate spiritually. And we do it in church all the time. We're at, we've actually perfected it. We somehow think that as long as we say, I'll pray for you, that gets us off the hook from any other responsibility that we have. I don't think that's the case. Listen to what, he, what uh, Batterson goes on to say. I wonder how many of our prayer requests are within our own power to answer. Yet we ask God to do what we can do ourselves. And then we wonder why God doesn't respond. Maybe it's because God won't do for us what we can do for ourselves. God isn't honored by prayers that are within the realm of human possibility. God is honored when we ask him to do what is humanly impossible. That way, God gets all the glory. You see... The reason the angel would not open the door to Mary's house is because Rhoda could open it herself. And and so many times as a church, we are praying for God to do something that I'm convinced if we were just obedient to the word of God, we could do through the power of his Holy Spirit on our own. And he is not going to answer a prayer that we can do because, because he won't get the glory for that. He wants to do things that are immeasurably greater than anything we can ask or imagine. But are we praying that way? Are we praying as an excuse to procrastinate spiritually? I love what St. Augustine said. Pray as though everything depended on God. Work as though everything depended on you. That's a great quote. Pray as if everything depended on God, because it does. And work as if everything depended on you. It's both faith and deeds together. Are you praying for something God has already delivered? Third question. Are you living in fear of a tyrant whom God has already defeated? Are you living in fear of a tyrant whom God has already defeated? See, this is a question about dependence. Are you fully relying on God to do what only he can do? I I love the thought of this because we're so used to a world with Twitter and 24-hour news cycle on the internet that we forget that the news of Herod's death would have taken days, maybe weeks, to get back to the church in Jerusalem. So I could just imagine, this isn't in scripture, this is just my speculation, I could just imagine the church, you know, they're really excited that Peter was set free, they hope he got out of the city and escaped, but they're kind of cowering and still worried about what Herod's going to do. Meanwhile, Herod's guts are getting eaten out by worms. I just love it. 
that, that they were still living in some fear of this tyrant whom God had already defeated. And here's my question for you. Are there tyrants in your life whom God has already defeated and maybe they still are breathing, but their days are numbered? You do know that your current struggles will not last forever. That, that if you are a follower of Jesus, if you've committed your life to him, everything that you're suffering right now Everything is a light and momentary affliction compared to the glory that God has in store for you. And do you know what that does to you? What it should do for you? It should give you the confidence and the joy to face every trial of life fully aware that this is not the way the story ends. The story doesn't end in divorce. The story doesn't end at a funeral home. The story doesn't end in bankruptcy court. The story doesn't end there. That Jesus who died on the cross has secured your victory through his death and his resurrection. So what have you to fear? What can happen to you? Paul says, neither death nor life nor, nor angels nor demons nor anything in this world can separate us from the love of Christ Jesus. We are more than conquerors in him. Are you living in fear of a tyrant whom God has already defeated? Are you praying for something God has already delivered? Are you sitting in a prison from which God has already set you free? See, I want you to think with me for just a minute about this cycle. Sacrifice, vigilance, and dependence. As we answer Christ's call to make whatever sacrifice it is, maybe for you it's setting down the bottle. Maybe for you it's, it's not being so dependent on money in your career. Maybe for you it, it it is, maybe for you it's, it's a way of thinking. Maybe it's a prejudice in your life. I don't know what it is, but as you sacrifice that and you become vigilant to look for what God is going to do around you, you become aware of God's activity in your life, then you become confident of your dependence on him. And as you become more and more dependent on him, it makes the next sacrifice that he calls you to make all that much easier because he's proven himself to you time and again. That he is a God who sets the captives free. That he is a God who answers your prayers. And that he is a God who has already secured the victory through Jesus' death and resurrection. I don't know what stage of life you're in. High school seniors going off to college. There are sacrifices you're going to have to make. There are ways that the rest of the world lives. And and you're going to stand out as different from the rest of them. Meanwhile, they all think they're being different and they're living exactly the same. If you want to be different, follow Jesus on your college campus. That's different. But it's going to require sacrifice on your part. And as you're walking on the college campus, be vigilant. Where is God working on your college campus? I am convinced, I am convinced that if we're going to continue to reach the next generation, we have to be serious about equipping our middle school and high school students to go onto college campuses, not as students, but as missionaries. Be vigilant on your college campus. Pay attention to where God is working and join him in that activity. And then be dependent on him. Be dependent on him. But remember, he's not going to do for you what you can do for yourself. Don't pray during midterms for God to give you an A. Instead, pray for God to start a revival on your campus that could only be explained by his activity in and among the believers on your campus. I mean, we could do this for every stage of life. And talk about the cycle, sacrifice, vigilance, dependence. What is it for you? What do you need to sacrifice? 
How do you need to open your eyes to see God working? And how do you need to rest in your dependence and his provision for you? I'm going to invite you to bow your heads and close your eyes as we pray together. Those who are collecting our offering, I'm going to invite you to come forward. And for the rest of us, um, I want to just remind you of the communication card that Darren mentioned earlier. And I want you to just take that out for a moment. Maybe on the prayer request spot, you would just write down something. How can we pray for you? What is a sacrifice you're struggling to make right now? What is a way in which you are watching to see God's activity in your life? How are you dependent on God today? Maybe today you would just mark on there that you want to talk to one of the ministers. You want to speak with a pastor about something. We'd be glad to follow up with you. Use that communication card uh, as the plate comes by you as a way to respond to what God is doing in your life. We're going to invite you to pray with us. Father, we give you thanks for your goodness, for the way you move and work among us. Lord, we we recognize that following after Jesus is easy to sing about and hard to do because it requires sacrifice. So Lord, we pray that you give us the faith, the boldness, the courage of James and Peter and Stephen and John and all these men and women we read about in the Bible who are just like us, but they were willing to follow you, whatever the cost. Lord, may that define us as your church. May it define me. Lord, would you help us to keep our eyes open? May we hear the words of Jesus. May we watch and may we pray. May we be vigilant to see what you're doing around us, how you're already answering prayers. And Father, may we increase in our dependence on you and decrease in our self-dependence. Father, I pray that today as we come to this time of offering, Lord, we put our gifts and our offerings in the plate, that, Father, there, there might be those today who even on their communication card might just be willing to say, pray for me. Lord, I, I want to meet with somebody. I want to talk about what it means to follow Jesus. I want to talk about what it means to, to leave the prison from which Jesus has already set me free. Father, I pray that today your spirit will continue to do a work inside of us not just now, but as we leave this place and we wrestle with these truths in our own life, in our own stage of life, that we might experience a breakout faith and that we might follow you in all that that means. Lord, take this offering, take our lives, use it for your glory. Lord, we pray that your church would be set free to join you in your great mission of redemption around the world. It's in the strong, powerful, matchless, beautiful name of Jesus that we ask it. 